This is Daniel Fagella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. The title of this episode is Everything Will Be Digitized, and we're going to talk about the broad trends of artificial intelligence, IoT, and heavy industry, not just for predictive maintenance, but for all kinds of future capabilities. And I'm going to get into that guest and that theme in just one second. But I do want to tee up a bit of a series that we're going to be running in early November. So starting on November 1st, which is a Monday, we're going to be publishing an episode once a day for the entire week, all the way through Friday. So that's five total episodes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, on a topic that is relevant for leaders in literally every industry. When we talk to our own subscribers and our Emerge Plus members, and we ask the question, what is holding you back from adopting artificial intelligence successfully? There's hardly anything more popular as an answer than culture. There's answers that tie into culture, such as, uh, well, you know, we can't really experiment because, you know, leadership doesn't really understand it. Or, well, nobody knows where to apply artificial intelligence in the first place. And at the end of the day, being able to get culture right really is a linchpin for unlocking the value of artificial intelligence inside of a business. If we don't have any top-down support, to match our bottom-up efforts to drive artificial intelligence, we're not going to get very far at all. Now, this series that starts on November 1st, my birthday is November 2nd, I've basically been telling myself through all the changes we're going through here at Emerge, we're hiring a salesperson, we're uh, leveling up our editorial efforts, we're bringing on another analyst here coming up pretty soon. I've been so busy with other things, I have not been able to set aside uh, time for a unique editorial series for our podcast listeners, and I wanted to do something fun, something valuable, something that we here at Emerge can turn into great content, but you, our listeners, can put in practice in your own businesses that you can actually leverage in terms of actionable insights, and culture is such a critical barrier, we wanted to get top perspectives on this topic, and our guests are going to be some pretty big ones. We have the chief AI officer at IBM, the overall chief AI officer at IBM. So for for the entirety of IBM, not for just one division or or one department, uh, Seth Dobrin, who is going to be our kickoff interviewee for this series, which again starts November 1st all the way through November 5th. We'll be publishing one episode per day during that span of time. And we have other leaders from Facebook, Intel, as well as a startup and another Fortune 500 company. And you'll have to tune in to figure out who exactly those interviewees are going to be. But Facebook, IBM, Intel, other exciting firms, all knuckling down on one topic. How do we get culture right? What does the proper culture look like? What does it allow us to execute? And how can we take actions to move the needle on enterprise culture in order to turn AI into value? Without culture change, it's very, very hard to do that. Some might argue it's impossible. And this series, I hope, will add a lot of value for you folks. And it's kind of a cool way for me to celebrate my own birthday by being able to do some things I'm passionate about, namely putting together great content and getting it out to our listeners. So I hope you stay tuned for November 1st as that series kicks off and stay with us through those five episodes. Very, very excited to be able to drum up uh, a great series with some fantastic big names. Without further ado, let's get into the rest of this episode. Our guest this week is Joseph Berti. He is a VP of AI Applications at IBM, focusing at the intersection of AI and heavy industry. And Joseph speaks with us this week about high-level trends in terms of where artificial intelligence is making its way into heavy industry. What does the world look like as more and more of our big physical assets, whether it be manufacturing equipment to aircraft to ground transportation, 
are digitized, are built from the ground up with sensors baked in, with the ability to model systems with digital twins right off the get-go. What does that transformation look like? And how will the world change? Some of it is going to change by outright purchasing uh, physical assets that are already augmented with a kind of digital capability right off the get-go. And others are going to be gradually upgraded over time. Sensors tacked on top of old legacy systems to try to level them up to keep up with some of the newer equipment. It's going to be a balance of both. And Joseph paints a little bit of a picture of what that overall transformation heavy industry may look like. So from a trend perspective and a future use case perspective, this is a view from someone who knows their stuff. Previously, before being with IBM, Joseph was the CEO of Onequa. Onequa is focused on predictive analytics for the oil and gas and utilities space before they sold to IBM, which is why uh, Joseph, definitely a self-proclaimed entrepreneur, is with Big Blue now. So he's got that big company experience as well as the startup experience, and he paints a great picture of where IoT, AI, and heavy industry are headed. So if you want to know how the future is going to transpire, I don't have a crystal ball, but... Joseph's about as good as it gets in terms of getting a vantage point on where things are headed. So without further ado, uh, let's dive in on this episode. This is Joseph Berti of IBM here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Joe, we're going to be talking about this broad term of digitizing everything. You know, you and I were talking off microphone about kind of important themes moving forward in AI, IoT and how we need to digitize everything. And I want to get an understanding for the audience's perspective. What do you mean by that in the first place? And why is that so critical to make AI come to life? Yeah, absolutely. The reason it's critical is it's what's holding back AI. So for example, if I'm trying to run a predictive model on a pump, I need to know information about that pump. I need a digital footprint for it. I need to know how it fails. I need to know how it normally vibrates. I need to know you know, the amperage and other things that are typically being pulled by that particular um, asset. And so if I don't have that in digital form, then I can't run that AI model. So scale that to all the assets on the planet. Uh, Like for example, I was talking to one oil and gas producer and one particular production unit um, is one site and has 20,000 assets. So if you say, okay, I want to apply AI to all those assets, yeah, you need you need the digital. And these assets aren't always simple, like a pump. I use a very simple example. Think of like a CO2 reactor that has all these different parts and components and other things on it. So as we try to build AI models and stuff, you need that digital footprint. And no one company on the planet, including IBM, has big enough check to write to digitize everything you can possibly think of. So it's a big, it's a big massive problem that we're thinking of ways and, and trying to solve. Well, it, and it feels like, you know, when you talked about it's, it's critical for unlocking the value of AI, I guess this is particularly in the domains where AI interacts with the physical world. I mean, as far as I can see, at least in many regards, the digital world has this gargantuan advantage of existing in digital ecosystems where if I'm on amazon.com on my phone or my tablet or whatever, I'm sure there's issues that they have with tracking what I'm doing. But relatively speaking, you can follow where my cursor is in terms of pixels and what I'm Correct. clicking and what I, I add to cart, don't add to cart. That button either got clicked or it didn't. While when we're tracking things in the physical world, it's it's harder. Same thing with a you know a completely software driven process. We can see you know what went where and how things were passed along. In the physical world, we either need a camera or we need some kind of sensors or we need some way of of actually tacking onto that stuff. So it feels like the physical world, when, just to understand the bounding box. When you're saying digitizing everything, 
sometimes people, what might come to mind is equipment, you know, vehicles, uh, manufacturing stuff, etc. Maybe people are thinking about home appliances. Maybe people are thinking about what's, what's the whole area of digitizing everything? Because I might not be thinking of all the buckets that you're thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. Just think of just using AI models to do vision and let's just do something simple like recognize a chair. That actual machine learning model doesn't know what a chair is until you've trained it and told it that it's a chair. So that you've now digitized that chair. And you did this as a young kid, right? You, You built the training model in your brain and your parents told you that was a chair. And now that you know it's you know it's a chair and you recognize it, so you have to do the same thing. You have to train all these models and build out that repository and that knowledge base to do a lot of things in a more digital fashion um, with AI. And it, it'll happen, but we're looking for ways to make it happen faster, right? I don't want to sit around here for twenty years and wait for everything on the planet to be digitized. Yeah, um, I want it to happen faster and and in a much quicker way. So, what we've been trying to do is amplify it through our ecosystem and with partners and other software companies uh, as well. And we're, we're doing it through what, what I call our digital twin exchange. It's a place where you can actually train models and put it onto an exchange and then start to share it with other people, um, even open source some of the actual digital models. So the digital twin exchange, you can either put it out there and someone can buy your trained model and your digital footprint for the, for like an asset, for example, or you can um, open source it and share it with others. So that's, that goes back to no one company on the planet can actually afford to digitize everything by themselves. No, no. So it's going to have to be done in a more of an ecosystem, collaborative way. The end result, though, is once this is done, think of that kind of Star Trek experience. You, if you think of it, I'm not a big Trekkie, but if you watch Star Trek, they're talking to the computer and they're interacting back and forth. And it's computer saying, oh, this is failing. This is having an issue. Uh, you may want to do this or you may want to shut off the engines or I'm suggesting I shut off the engines immediately and they're talking back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all that is all, you know, that entire um, ship was digitized at some format and the model was trained as to what's good, what's bad, what's a failure, what's not a failure in order to create that experience. So that's the experience that we're headed towards. There's actually the technology and everything's in place to actually have that experience. What's not in place is all the data to feed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the part that's missing. Hard to take the world of atoms and and make it really reliable into the world of bits. I mean, it is hard to do, man. It is hard to do. So, am I speaking about the right context of of everything? You know, digitizing everything. If I think about, is this mostly electronics, equipment, etc.? Or when we think about digitizing everything, could we mean, you know, hypothetically, every house has exact dimensions of, you know, all this stuff in the room and how many chairs are in there and whatever. Like that's another way to call digitizing everything. Another way of digitizing everything is my own personal data. Uh, you know, I could wear more Fitbit stuff. I could have health data entered more frequently. Uh, I don't know, blood sample taken every you know day at 5 PM. Who, who the heck knows? Yeah. Digitizing everything gets almost unlimited. You know, clearly your work primarily in, in maybe more of the equipment domain um, but ultimately, do you see this having a, a horizon that gets to those wild spaces I just articulated there? Absolutely. Uh, like just recently, uh, the iPhone 12 was actually launched and it actually has what's called LiDAR on it. And most people didn't even catch that event. It just happened. And most people don't even know what LiDAR is. And what it does is you can actually scan a room and, and it actually digitizes the room. Yep. There's actually a lot of cool stuff you can do with that. And, you know, it's still new to most people's phones, but you're going to start seeing it on all the makes and models of phones out there. So imagine what you can do if you can just 
basically scan your phone around a room and then turn it into a 3D model. Um, real realtors do that now, by the way. They're doing yeah, it to, yeah. when you can on, online. You can walk through the house and kind of see it and see that. And it, it, there's actually online floor plans. Those floor plans were generated with with lidar. We are mostly focused on assets, though, because like, a lot of our customers yep. have complex assets, uh, chemical facilities, oil and gas, utilities, bridges, transportation, like yep. trains, all that infrastructure is one of the areas we focus on heavily and um, we're focused on digitizing that because there's high yeah. value to doing yeah. that. Big time. But yeah, but I guess to the broader point for the audience, hypothetically digitizing everything is is borderline literal. I mean, we're talking about the inside of a home. We're talking yeah. about, I mean, already the, the, the communications with, uh, I don't know, all of my team is more or less digital. I mean, we could record all the videos if we wanted. Everything's in Slack if we want to look at the historical. So that's the digitization of everything. It's part of this it inevitable is. trend where you and I uh, live in a simulation could instead be, uh, you know, swimming in some digital pond, having this conversation, maybe one day. So, so, okay. So, so we've got this broad trend. Clearly you guys have your focus area, but, but it extends to everything. And, and once things are digitized, now we can train models on them. We can detect what's going on. We can preempt things. We can create this broader ecosystem of possibilities. Talk a little bit about what you think is going to become more digitized over the coming you know, two, five years uh, where, where you really, you just think it's almost inevitable where just so much yeah. more of this stuff is going to become, you know, a digital twin or a representation of the digital world and which areas in your opinion, maybe aren't, I'd love to get your thoughts on what won't and why and what will, there might be technical feasibility. There might be the business value, but lend me your thoughts. Yeah. I'll start with the areas that won't and, or be less is one, anything involving privacy and people, you know, it's what, what IBM calls ethical AI. And so it's like, there's a stance of not doing facial recognition exact, you know, in yeah. a, a IBM's ethical AI statement. And so that's, I think that's where some companies that follow the ethical AI path are going to draw the line and draw the limit. Yep. Um. So kind of flip that the other way is what I believe is going to get digitized first is is the complex assets because that's where the most value is. It costs a lot of money to keep that infrastructure up and running. And then if it fails, there's a high cost to it shutting down. And so because there's a high value and high cost, that that's where people tend to focus their efforts on. This, the second reason is the companies buying those assets are spending billions of dollars to purchase them. They're, they're even going so far now as when they purchase a new asset. In, in addition to getting the physical they're requesting the digital footprint associated with it. And the, the reason they're huh. doing that is it's so much more efficient to run that asset and manage it over its life cycle than if you don't have that digital footprint. So you can you can do the work a lot faster in a much less expensive way if you have that digital to match the physical. Let's let's make this tangible. I've got one other question to round this out, but but I'd love to make what you just said tangible. So you mentioned, you know, uh, Big, heavy, expensive assets, uh, the buyers who are investing a ton of money, they want the digital footprint in addition to the heavy asset. When you say big, heavy thing, I think, okay, you know, Caterpillar's most gigantic truck, or I think, uh, you know, like a yeah. 747 or, or whatever the heck. So am I right to presume maybe we're talking about that level of, of equipment here? Yeah, okay. so let's take, that, let's take that example. So let's say I'm a mining company and I buy a piece of equipment from Caterpillar. And so as soon as I, as soon as I buy that, I need to maintain it. I need to do like preventative maintenance, like changing the oil as well as other maintenance on it. And I also need to buy a bunch of parts to have them in inventory 
to keep in case there's an emergency failure or something breaks down. Cause I, I can't stop my mining operation. I've got hundreds, yeah. if not thousands of people that are relying on that equipment working to keep the mine moving 24. So I buy a bunch of spare parts. So imagine now I have a digital footprint for that. I can actually kind of one click download all the bill of material, all the breakdown of the parts of that equipment. So I have them in my system so I can reorder them quicker. It'll also be smart enough to tell me which ones I should maintain an inventory. And it'll also tell me which ones I should buy for preventative maintenance. So like okay. my oil and all my other things that need to be periodically changed. It'll, it'll be smart enough. It'll also create all my maintenance plans. It'll tell me, okay, every X number of hours I need to um, change the oil or I need to, you know, replace the air filter and I'll be at a one click and just import that all into my maintenance system in one okay. step. Right now okay. it takes months to do that. Like, cause they, right now they, they'll, they'll publish the, the manual for it and they'll send you a PDF, right? So you get the PDF and so what do I do with this? It's 300 pages long and there's no part numbers. There's no, there's nothing I can actually enter into a system Whoa. to make it easy to reorder. So right now everything really manual. So this right? is what a digital footprint, cause, cause that's not self-evident. Right. What is the digital footprint? Okay. Like, is this a 3d scan of the thing? Is this, what you're talking about is a particular format of listed items, listed parts, how we That's interact right. with those and what the workflows are around them that are going to be practically valuable. And what you're That's also right. saying is that the company, let's say a mining company, you know, uh, Tinto or whoever the heck, uh, you know, the big guys. Rio Tinto. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they uh, you know, they, they want to take this digital footprint. Apparently they have a software where they can load this digital footprint into. Um, correct. And, and I'm, like Maximo. Correct. Yeah. Okay, great, great. So Maximo is an example of such a software. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, th this is a whole ecosystem I'm actually not that familiar with. Digital footprint, heavy equipment like uh, space is it's, uh, a little bit farther yeah. from, but useful to know. So so they'll they'll load that in and now they'll have a place to search. They'll have a place to you know look for procedures and it won't be flipping through a PDF, scrolling through a PDF. It'll be just pulling up uh, the things. That yeah, it'll be instantaneous. So, yeah. Think, another way to think of this is supply chain 20 years ago. Like th imagine a world with no barcodes, uh, UPC codes, um, transactions happening electronically online via paper and faxes. So this this area is is in the ice ages, just like supply chain was 20 years ago. Yeah. All of a sudden, though, the barcode showed up and it, it started being printed on everything. And now you can scan things. So that's kind of the similar thing is you you can now process an order in a digital format, either online or dry, you know running it past a scanner because of that barcode. So um, if nothing's cool. barcoded, your your entire supply chain shuts down. You know, digitization can mean so many damn things. But I think this idea about this unique file with all the parts listed in there, the, the facts about those parts and the use of those parts, that's a nice tangible example of what does digitization mean. You know, it could mean we put right. sensors on it so we know what's happening now. It could mean, I don't know, we have some 3D scan of the darn thing. You know, it could mean this unique kind of a file. All of these are digitizing the asset. And what you're saying is, when folks are making these acquisitions, they're essentially demanding that that they have that because of how much more effective they'll be able to be with the piece of equipment if they have it. Correct. It's also an information that allows you to drive intelligence. Like think of your car as another example of you need to replace your tires every 50,000 miles. That's information that's actually relevant and important, right? If you don't know that um, and you don't have that information and which some people don't, they just keep driving till they get a flat <laughs> yep. and they don't actually change the tires on their car. So, so that's, that's pretty important information. And if you don't have that available in your systems, then it's hard, it's hard to action that.
Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. This is making the idea more tangible. Final quick question as we close out uh, here, Joe. Uh, just my brain's turning, and I'm thinking for the audience as well. You know, we think about the digitization of everything. We can think of a hundred ways to slice this field up, but one way that I, I think about it sometimes is we've got the existing world that we've got to retrofit with sensors or scan in some way or represent now digitally in, t- in terms of some kind of a twin or something that we can then do something with. Most of the world was not built with like this sort of AI algorithm first idea. Most of the Correct. things being built right now aren't even with that writ large. I mean, some industries maybe yes, but most industries no. There's a wave in the next five years of the non-digital world getting layered with scans from the outside, sensors appended to the inside, whatever, to digitize them so we can understand them, we can use them better, we can predict their downfall, whatever the case may be. Then there's another paradigm where the things that are to be built, you know, we talked to the John Deere's of the world, you know, we've had a fellow from Caterpillar on, for example, more of this stuff that's going to be made will be made for the digital world where the sensors will be baked in there. Is there one paradigm you're more excited about than the other? Is this about 50-50 in terms of where the value is going to come from in the next five years? I think it's a really interesting question to, to posit is, is in the next five years, business savings, business revenues driven more by the new paradigm just being baked in or fitting in retro and kind of jamming in the regular world into a digital sphere? I think once once everything's digitized or as it gets to a critical mass, you're going to see massive amounts of value unlocked because of what's possible uh, with it. It's worse. We're still at the tip of the iceberg of, let's say 1% of the yeah, thing yeah, yeah. that's on the planet are digitized, but um, it's, it's at the level of the, it's the next level of productivity in the economy and in the world. It's, it's as big as the industrial revolution, right? From that perspective um, because of what it unlocks and what it enables. And like I said, the technology is there to actually action some of this with AI models and other intelligence. In, that are embedded in computer systems and vision systems and monitoring systems, you know, on and on and on. It's being held back by the lack of data. But once once that data is available, you'll see a major step function in productivity and automation that you probably wouldn't have imagined in the past. Got it. And so, no, it sounds like you don't have a hard stance on, you know, the bulk of that value, that wave, that burgeoning uh, new unlock coming from the new stuff made versus the old stuff retrofitted for you. It's just like, I don't know, they're both going to happen, but they're both going to contribute to the same paradigm. It sounds like that's kind of your uh, answer there from hearing you right. Well, it's much easier to retrofit older equipment now, right? With sensors that you could just buy off the shelf and plug on and slap on the side of a piece of equipment and start to collect information. So if it was, if that didn't exist, I would say the newer equipment and the newer assets are where the value is going to come from. But that's not always that's not true anymore because the retrofitting is is much much easier than it was in the past. Yeah, I imagine in five years it might even be even easier. So I'm sure I'll be following Big Blue uh, in five years, and we'll we'll see where things stand at that point. But until then, Joe, thanks so much for being able to join us again on the show. Yeah, thanks, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And two quick points of note as we wrap up. First, as I mentioned in the intro, from November 1st through November 5th, we will be publishing an episode 
every day. That's Monday through Friday of that first week of November. That is my birthday week. I wanted to be able to step away from all the different staff and team and infrastructure work that we're doing here at Emerge and focus on content, do something that would be as helpful as possible for our listeners. So we have a special series on leveling up your AI culture in the enterprise, learning from high-level leaders at IBM, Facebook, Intel, and other exciting companies. So be sure to stay tuned in early November. If nothing else, join me on my birthday. Listen in just for me during that time. But in all seriousness, listen in for yourself. There is no bigger barrier to broad AI change than a change in culture. None of it's easy. But the folks that we have in this series are able to paint a picture of what it looks like to make culture change happen and what kind of culture we ultimately want to arrive at that will allow us to unlock the value of AI. So I hope you join us for November 1st through November 5th. And otherwise, if you're not already following us on social, I am definitely going to be posting a lot during that week because there's going to be insights firing off with every single episode. Be sure to follow us at at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on Facebook or on LinkedIn. You can easily find me at Dan Figella on Twitter or on LinkedIn as well. I'm constantly posting our work here at Emerge and teeing up some of the content that we have coming up. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. Looking forward to having you with us in November if you're able to make it. And otherwise, I will catch you in next week's episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.